0: Right here, boys, right here. Get your cake, pie, dill, pickles, and ice cream. Eat all you can. Be a glutton. Stuff yourselves. It's all free, boys. It's all free. Hurry, 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 hurry. That's from Pinocchio, the original 1940 Disney version. It's the scene where mischievous boys playing hooky from school are encouraged to go to Pleasure Island for the time of their lives. At Pleasure Island, you can do whatever your heart desires. Boys can smoke, drink alcohol, fight, wreck the place, all free of charge. There are no laws, no rules, no parents. It's paradise. All pleasure and no pain. Or so the boys thought until they became donkeys. Well, the real world is no 1940s Disney movie, as we know. And yet, just like Pleasure Island, worldly pleasures today make the world go round. Consider the U.S. economy, fueled by a consumer's desire for more. Today, we have more pleasures at our fingertips than ever before, and we can deaden or lessen the effects of pain, whether physical or psychological, with any number of new drugs. And so today, I think we just take it as a given that to maximize our pleasure and minimize our pain is always a good thing. After all, who doesn't want to be happy and comfortable? What could be wrong with that? Well, you've joined us for a rather unusual sermon today, not just because of that strange introduction, but normally we preach here at Henson through one passage of scripture, one argument kind of all together. But today we are in our third of four topical sermons from the book of Proverbs. So far this spring, we've considered kids and parents, poverty and riches. Today, we're going to consider what the book of Proverbs as a whole has to say about pain and pleasure. Uh, the Proverbs, as many of you may know, were written mainly by King Solomon of Israel in around the 10th century BC. Here in the book of Proverbs, it's the, the form is like the words of a father to a son, lessons on wise living. And generations have benefited from these wise sayings. Today, My prayer for us, as we hear some of these proverbs that I've selected, is that we will grow to love the pleasure that comes from the Lord's wisdom more than the temporary pleasures that this world has to offer. Well, I hope our hearts will be instructed as we first consider, one, the cost of temporary pleasures. And then we'll consider the benefits of a certain kind of pain. And then finally, we'll consider the greatest pleasure of all. So usually here at Hinson, we have one main idea or argument that kind of controls the entire sermon, but I'm feeling generous today, so you get three lessons for the price of one. And the goal in all three of these lessons is that we might take great pleasure in the Son of God who knew great pain for our eternal pleasure. So, let's start with lesson one, shall we? It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Listen to Proverbs 1, 10 and 11. My son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. If they say, come with us. Let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Just a by way of reminder, we shouldn't always interpret Proverbs literally. I don't think Solomon, the dad here, is concerned that his son is kind of demented, that he's got a few screws loose, and he likes to maybe like torture little animals, and that he's going to become this like psychopath murderer. No, I think what Solomon's concerned for his son is that he knows how pursuing a little bit of fun can blind us generally to the humanity of other people. When we no longer see people as people, but we seek to use them for our own benefit, for our own pleasure, listen to what happens in the end in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1. But they, these are the pleasure seekers, the gang, they send an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. Such Are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly? It takes the lives of those who receive it. Like all good fathers, Solomon doesn't want his son to meet an early death. And but he's his concern for his son is not the external dangers out there so much as what is inside his son, what's internal to him, and that's a love of fun and pleasure and making a profit. Do you see that in verses 11 and 19? The father knows that those internal desires for fun and profit can take advantage of other people blindly and in the end destroy his son. You know, what is striking to me about Proverbs 1 is how the imagery has all this like hunting Uh, images. It's like we turn people into pieces of meat to be hunted like animals. Did you notice that? Like waiting in ambush? Uh, This isn't just like a father-son wholesome hunting trip that Solomon's describing. It's a most dangerous game of ignorantly following our innate desires. And in the end, it's the pleasure seeker who takes the fall and the father warns his son, to put pleasure over people is to dig your own grave. You know, pleasure seekers don't only turn people into objects, into pieces of meat for their consumption, they become the meat themselves. We see this repeatedly in the, in the Proverbs. We, we considered how the hunter for pleasure becomes the prey in chapter 1, but we see this, a young person in Proverbs 7 go after the forbidden woman. It was greed and a desire for fun before. Now it's being led astray by like an animal lust. Listen to what happens to the young man who follows his desire for pleasure in chapter 7, Proverbs 7 22 and 23. He follows her impulsively, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer. Bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know that it will cost him his life. Are you starting to see the danger of following our impulses, our passions, how we can become a slave to our own internal pleasures? Is are you willing to give up some of your pleasures for the good of others? I think often we think that's not a very good trade. Another father, King Lemuel, in Proverbs 31, warns his son, don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. And I don't think here King Lemuel is telling his son, just avoid women, just in general, it's dangerous. No, he's going to tell his son what kind of woman to pursue in Proverbs 31. But these two fathers know that their sons could destroy themselves in the pursuit of their lusts and waste their lives on something that's only going to bring misery in the end to them. Now, this, is, this reality is well-documented in our lives, in film, in books, even here in the church. We know the pain all too well of fools rushing in, going after their pleasures, and destroying their families, staining the name of Christ. But we're here this morning, and we're good church people. We don't think this is a danger for us all too often. You know, I think all too often we think of our pleasures as just... Kind of innocent, yet maybe we'll call them guilty pleasures. Small, not a big deal, not really that dangerous, not something that is going to consume us like we see and have seen in Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 7. But today, I suspect, based on how repeated a theme this is in the scriptures and in Proverbs in particular, that our pleasures could be killing us softly. I just want to pick out two pleasures that are an example of what we've seen here so far in the Proverbs of objectifying others to feel good about ourselves. How do we do this? Maybe even as good moral church people who are respectable. First, let's consider gossip. Gossip. We have the same proverb just repeated in Proverbs 18.8 and 26.22. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. Gossip tastes good. It's delicious. Gossip can be a way that we feel good about sharing some unfortunate news about a friend or a church member for our own pleasure. You know, if we hear that someone has fallen into foolishness or something unfortunate has happened to to them, it can be a thrill if we're honest to share that news with other people. You know, we don't we don't make it out that way. I've got some great news to share about how someone's suffering, but I think we have been taken in by this clickbait that we see online that bad news is often more interesting than good news. It's juicier. It tastes better. So we often use the fall of others to lift ourselves up in our circle of friends, don't we? I think we need to examine our heart in this regard. Our motives for sharing what we do about other people. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. One of the consequences uh, is of what we speak, write, post, message, is we will eat what we say. We will eat our words. And the question is, is it going to be nourishing? Or is it going to cause an upset stomach? No, know, there is, there is great nourishment in a good word spoken at the right time. It's like an apple in settings of silver. This is why we are all sitting here listening to God's word to be nourished from God's word every week because we know that God's word brings spiritual nourishment and life. But all too often, we can use our words to build ourselves up tear others down, and when we do that, we are wielding, in the words of Proverbs, the power of death itself. So, I think we should, again, we should think about how we're using our words. It can feel good to share certain things about other people, whether online or in person. I think a good rule of thumb generally is to imagine that the person that we're talking about is right there. We know the Lord is there. Is the way that we're characterizing that fellow image bearer respectful? Would they feel good about the way that you characterize them in that situation? Proverbs tells us two times that gossip tastes good. It's just describing the way the world is. But it can destroy people and relationships. Gossip can destroy a church left unchecked. So we need to beware of using the suffering and sin of others for our own pleasure. Second respectable pleasure that we often struggle with is anger. Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Kind of like gossip. Anger can feel so good to release. You know, when we release our anger... Whether in an angry outburst or just giving someone a cold shoulder, it can feel so good. Um, maybe one of the ways we might excuse this uh, is, is kind of related to gossip again. We could we can talk very frustrated about maybe our spouse's or a good friend's shortcomings. Again, it's not it's not wrong to share how we're struggling. But don't we often paint ourselves as the innocent party and our spouse or friend as basically guilty, and we vent and express that frustration and anger because of how we have been wronged? That can feel so good, at least for a little while. What are some areas in your life that you might be giving into anger? The reason why we express our anger, whether hot or cold, is because it feels good. It feels good to get it out. There's that pleasurable release. You know, we often feel like we have a clear mind when we can vent our frustration. But in the end, what's the fallout? Was it worth that temporary pleasure that we felt? Put yourself on the other end. We've all lived or worked with angry people. I'm sure that that angry person that you maybe even still live with feels very justified when they release the anger. But what effect does it have on the relationship, on the home, on the workplace? Now, I think we need to recognize something as we read the Proverbs it feels good to sin. It feels good to give in to our innate pleasures. You know, if you're maybe not particularly religious or you don't identify as a Christian, I wonder if that surprises you that we have a book of the Bible, the author is God, and he tells us how sin feels good. It feels good to use others for our own pleasure and and at the expense of other people. And our experience bears this out. You know, they have done studies on the brain, and it appears that there's more dopamine released when someone is looking at pornography in contrast to experiencing intimacy with their spouse. Yeah, porn can bring more pleasure than faithfulness. But what's it doing to us? And why is more never enough? I think we can all agree that following our animal slash human instincts hasn't exactly made the world a better place. It seems that the more pleasures that we have available to us, the more pain that we know. And we haven't even seen a fraction today of the pain that comes when we put pleasure over people. There will be a reckoning, for there is a just God. And he hates it when we use others for our own pleasure. Perhaps instead of seeking pleasure today, we could use a little dose of pain. For our eternal good. And that's what we're going to consider next in our second lesson. No pain, no gain. Wisdom says in the book of Proverbs that we don't necessarily need more pleasure today. It doesn't say pursue your pleasure at all costs. We're going to consider the, the rightful place of pleasure here in a minute. But Proverbs begins right off the bat with how we need pleasure. Discipline and instruction. The book of Proverbs begins this way the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline. You know, we thought about discipline a little bit about a month ago when we considered kids and parents in the realm of the home. But discipline is not just in the realm of the home. Listen to Proverbs 15:5. A fool despises his father's discipline, but a person who accepts correction is sensible. Discipline starts in the home, and we know from the home that without the rod of correction, there's not a good future for the son who's left to himself. But discipline continues after that time of the rod, Uh, hopefully not continuing with the rod, but with words of correction. Uh, and, And the New Testament will even say no no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It doesn't bring pleasure. But without correction, imagine where we would be if we were never corrected or our wills were never crossed. Consider what that would... That you, we've seen children whose wills are never crossed, and ultimately they're miserable. Now, receiving correction humbly is a good gift, a huge theme in Proverbs And and maybe right now, you might be thinking of people in your life who are resistant to any kind of correction. You're thinking, oh, they need to hear this. I see what's coming here, a point on correction. Uh, They need some discipline. But what about you? What do we need to hear? Do we see correction as an opportunity for growing in the Lord's wisdom? Or do we respond like we see most of the time? Defensiveness, rationalizing our behavior and our words. Do we kind of automatically assume that someone correcting us is judgmental or doesn't understand our situation? We can even just think, what, what about the last time that you were corrected by a friend or it's probably most likely a family member who corrected you? How'd it feel? It probably wasn't pleasurable. It probably didn't feel good. And how did you respond? You know, I think some of us, maybe when I say, think of the last time you were corrected or rebuked, you think, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of a time. And maybe that's because we have orchestrated our lives to be resistant to correction and rebuke. We act like, we kind of go around like, well, I, we pretty much have things figured out. I'm doing fine. I don't really need any help from others. I've kind of got this Christian life thing figured out for myself. I think we need to listen to a few more Proverbs, if that's functionally how we are. Let's listen to Proverbs 15, 31 through 33. One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself. But whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. Love your future self and receive some correction. Don't despise your future self and defend your behavior and rationalize your words. Get something more pleasurable than defending yourself and invite good sense, a home among the wise, and the honor that comes from the Lord. Uh, We need to nuance this a little bit. No one wants to be a part of a family or a culture that is constantly criticizing, correcting, and rebuking. I've been to some churches like that. Uh, I don't think they're around anymore. Everybody's left. Everybody criticizes each other and then everyone leaves. It's great. (laughs) A, A culture of criticism in any community can be toxic. Everyone becomes a target of personality differences and no grace or forbearance is given. Our correction needs to come from a reliable source, more reliable than personality, uh, more reliable than culture, uh, more reliable than our personal preferences. So often, that's how we critique, based on the culture we come from, the personality God has given us, or our just personal preferences. But that's not the kind of culture that we want in the church, so what does this look like? As Proverbs talks about receiving correction and discipline, what kind of, what is, what's going on? Well, I think the Apostle Paul points us in the right direction in 2 Timothy 3.16 in the well-known verse. Think about it in this context of correction and discipline. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, true and lasting pleasure doesn't come from constantly criticizing on parenting styles or different school choices for your kids or from, by politics. We need to correct and admonish according to God's word. This is our basis. What does this look like in the church? Well, one of the ministries that God has has given me as one of your pastors is uh, I get to pursue people who kind of quit coming to church. I'd I'd encourage you to join me in this, in this work of of love. So there, you know, uh, there was a sister a while back who hadn't been coming to church in some time, a member of our church. And uh, I don't say it like this, but essentially I'm calling, um, I may call you one day or you may call me hopefully not, that might be another issue, but um, <laughs> essentially I'm wondering, when do you plan on obeying Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 again? The command to regularly gather with God's people, this ordinary means of grace that we all need, people speaking the truth into our life, sitting under the word, worshiping with God's people. Um, so I, I inquired, you know, how, how the sister's doing spiritually and wondering when she planned on coming back to gather with us or if she had found a new church. I was so encouraged by how she responded. She was convicted by the Spirit. I think she was there the very next Sunday and has been gathering with us, serving, using her gifts, sacrificing her busy schedule and all the stresses that can keep us from gathering with God's people and present here. I could name so many examples as I look around this room of how I have seen you all respond to humbly to the correction, the discipline of God's word. There's nothing better as a pastor to see God's, work at, God's word at work among a humble people. Sometimes I'm discouraged too, though. You know, just a couple weeks ago I got coffee with a friend, someone living in sin. Instead of receiving correction from God's word, He spent pretty much the entire, like, two hours justifying himself, speaking about how well he was doing, even though he was living in sin. Uh, He may not have convinced me or others that he was doing well spiritually, but he had convinced himself. I wonder how he felt leaving that time, if he had so lied to himself that he really thought, I don't really need... God's word of correction in my life. We need to humbly expose ourselves to the correction that comes from God's word. This is the discipline that we all need. We are prone to wander. This is not, again, nitpicky criticism on lifestyle choices, but we need to examine our hearts and our motives in the light of God's word and ask other people, invite other people to hold us accountable. You know, I, I said a minute ago that many of us have designed our lives to be resistant to criticism and critique. It feels safer to be insulated from, you know, what we can perceive, especially in this culture, or like the judgment of others. Why would you put yourself in that situation? Uh, but without the correction of God's word and others speaking God's word into our lives, we will not walk the way of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs twenty twenty nine eighteen says, without revelation, people run wild but one who follows divine instruction will be happy. So how are you asking others to help you follow and listen to divine instruction? Who is looking out for you if you were to wander off the path, the safe path of wisdom? Who loves you enough to warn you if you're running wild? And who are you serving in this way? You know, I had a brother do this with me just this week. I had been rude to him and he bought me dinner and he asked me if there was any tension between us. I wasn't even aware, really, of how I had treated him. But he did it with such humility and grace that even though I was kind of taken aback initially, like, whoa, I didn't see this one coming, I ended up being thankful and I was instructed. You know, if we don't know the pain of correction and discipline, commands, we will know no gain, no growth, no lasting pleasure. Instead, you'll be left to your own resources, and if you're anything like me, that's not a lot. It's not very impressive. So we all need help to delight in something better than our innate desires and the things that we think in our own wisdom will make us happy. That brings us to our third and our final lesson, treat yourself. Um, Or as the kids say these days, treat yourself. I need to preview those slides a little better. I think that's (laughs) from Parks and Rec. (laughs) See how the rest of the slides go. (laughs) So let's just review. What are the lessons that we've learned from Proverbs so far as as we think about this final lesson? Lesson one, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. In other words, pleasure can feel good for a little while, uh, but the short-term pleasure that we pursue often leads to long-term pain. Like, pursuing pleasure just for now leads to long-term pain, um, and we inadvertently, sometimes we don't even realize the way that we're using others. And then lesson two, we just consider no pain, no gain. To get lasting pleasure, you need to know the temporary pain of discipline, of correction, of rebuke that comes from the Lord's instruction. We've saved the best class for last. Let's consider Proverbs twenty-three, thirteen. So what we've been considering this whole service. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. And the honeycomb is sweet to your palate. I guess we haven't been considering honey, specifically all service. But uh, why does Solomon tell his son to enjoy honey? Is it for the long-term health benefits? You know, because it relieves stress. It is an anti-inflammatory. I looked this up with the benefits of Honey antioxidant, antibacterial agent. It treats coughs and promotes wound healing. Is that why we're to enjoy honey? No, actually, Proverbs just says, eat honey because it tastes good. It's sweet. It's delicious. King Solomon speaks the words of God to us today, and he tells us to enjoy what is good, the good gifts of this life. Honey, money, (laughs) Marriage, sex within marriage, friendship, laughter, thoughtful words, a good meal. All these are pictured, and more, are pictured in Proverbs as good gifts from God meant to be enjoyed by us. Proverbs is like, treat yourself, son. Enjoy. Again, if you're not religious, or again, you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, is this how you picture God? Wanting us to enjoy good gifts that he has given, father's not done though. He says, "You think honey's good? Just wait, wait till you hear about something even sweeter." It's in the very next verse. I'll, I'll read the Proverbs twenty-three thirteen again. Eats honey, my son, for it is good, and the honeycomb is sweet to your palate. Realize that wisdom is the same for you. If you find it, wisdom does something better than honey. You will have a future, and your hope will never fade. You will have a future, and your hope will never fade. You know, wisdom is like honey. It's good. It's sweet. It's a good gift from above, meant to be enjoyed for our pleasure. But unlike honey, wisdom lasts, gives us a future. Friends, God takes pleasure in good things. Read through the Proverbs and notice all the things that God delights in. He is a God of great joy. He loves the animal kingdom. He loves the spring rain. He loves the pleasure of a husband and wife. He loves wise words. He loves justice. He loves humility. He loves it when people take a particular concern for the poor. Our God is a God bursting with delight and joy like you wouldn't believe but his greatest delight, listen to him as wisdom speaks in Proverbs 8, 30 through 36. So this is our, our longest text. Proverbs 8, 30 through 36. Again, this is wisdom speaking. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of Adam. And now, sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are happy. Listen to, the, listen to instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Anyone who listens to me is happy, watching at my doors every day, waiting by the post of my doorway. For the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But the one who misses me harms himself. All who hate me love death. Well, the voice, as I said, in this figure of speech is wisdom, wisdom-talking, The wisdom of the Lord enjoyed with the triune God before creation and at the time of creation. And on this side of the cross, we know that wisdom is not just a figure of speech. Wisdom is not just an idea. Wisdom is not just contained, separate from us in the Godhead, unable for us to access. Wisdom is a person. The God who delights in wisdom, the father who delights in wisdom, delights in his wise son. See this all over the book of Proverbs. Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-four says, The father of a righteous son will rejoice greatly, and one who fathers a wise son will delight in him. That's true on a human level. With fathers and sons mothers and daughters but how much more is it true of the heavenly father who sent his eternal son to know great pain for our eternal pleasure when the son was baptized what did the father say this is my son with him i am well pleased it was his beloved The Father delights in all then who are hidden in the Son, who take joy in who he takes joy in, who turn from the passing temporary pleasures of this world and delight in that Son who is given for us. This is the wisdom of God revealed in the Son. And in the cross, we see God's mystery hidden for long ages revealed that through the son's pain, we can know the eternal pleasures of God sweeter than honey forever. So if you don't know Christ today, if you don't delight in Jesus, if you don't love him, you're someone who's heard the good news of what God has done in the person of his son a hundred times, but you don't know this to be a great pleasure to you. Today's the day. Today is the day to know the greatest pleasure imaginable. The pleasure that God Himself has known from eternity past. And that the church will rejoice and delight in for eternity future around the throne. The pleasure of sins forgiven, cast into the sea, separated as far as the east is from the west. The pleasure of the hope of eternal life with Christ. Now we know his pleasure by faith as we hear his voice speak to us in his word, as we consider the delight of the Father and the Son and the Spirit together. But one day our pleasure, our delight will be sight and we will see him and we will rejoice. This is the pleasure for all who rejoice in the resurrection as we have been considering in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the promise for all who turn from being wise in their own eyes, justifying their own temporary passing pleasures, often at the cost of other people and of themselves, and instead looking to the good correction, instruction of the Lord, and how Christ the Son perfectly was righteous and kept the commands of the Father so that we might know his righteousness. So friends, choose a better pleasure today. Delight in the Son and the Father will delight in you for all eternity. You know, the wisdom from above is not just a moral way of living. It's not just a set of rules or beliefs. It's not about beating ourselves up because we feel guilty for enjoying that good steak or that nice vacation in Hawaii or that time with friends or even vegging out watching TV. No, wisdom calls us to treat ourselves and cs lewis a well-known quote from a great devour or the weight of glory uh, helps us discipline our hearts and open our mouths wide to receive a greater gift from god than what we often seek cs lewis writes it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So, how do our lives together or your life as an individual demonstrate that we're far too easily pleased? I asked at the beginning. What's wrong with wanting to be comfortable? What's wrong with wanting to be happy? I wonder how you expected me to answer that question. I think we've seen in the Proverbs today, there's everything right with wanting to be happy. We were created to be happy. We were created to delight in the Lord, to know rest, and comfort in his presence. But the source of our happiness, the fount, will never be found in this cursed world with temporary pleasures and comforts. The Lord has spoken to us a word of wisdom today, a wisdom that is not found in pursuing our impulses, It's actually by taking the way of pain first and receiving that correction and the commands of the Lord that reveal that in of ourselves we are broken and we need help. And the Lord in his kindness disciplines us for our good. And he calls us to listen and follow him as children of him. He calls us to taste and see that he is good then. So, for the sake of your pleasure today, for the sake of your pleasure tomorrow, forever, humble yourself, friend. Ask him to help you delight in him the most. Jesus is the greatest pleasure of all. Is he your greatest pleasure? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that for many of us in our heads, we know that you are the greatest treasure, the wellspring of our soul, our great redeemer, the satisfaction that we're longing for, but Lord, we confess that our our affections are broken, we turn to much smaller pleasures instead of seeking you. Oh Lord, instead of thankfully receiving your good many good gifts that you give us every day, oh Lord, we self-medicate with these to dull the pain. Father, help us, we pray. Humble us. Help us to find our rest in you. Help us to find you in our affections to be our greatest pleasure. Oh Lord, re- redeem us from our lesser pleasures, and help us to encourage one another to rejoice in our Redeemer, who we know objectively is the greatest treasure, the wellspring of our hearts and souls. So Lord, help us to trust your word. Give us humility, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now receive this blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.